Time to get in the middle of it, between two Bs. I'm your host, Dave Walker. More B2SMB enterprises than ever are recognizing the role and the value of small business advocacy and of advocates. Banking veteran Derek Ellington, EVP of Small Business for Wells Fargo, has stood on the front lines of aiding small business for 25 plus years. We'll talk to him about a common challenge for any entrepreneur, money, and how it acutely affects underserved communities. And of course, we'll get into solutions and a path forward. Then we'll hear from Kira McCoy of Meta's SMB Advocacy Team. We'll cover a wide range of topics and insights and experience in helping guide the social network giant's community platform, connecting small businesses with each other and with their customers. And the listening post is back. Every month, we invite an SMB expert to share the latest research, insights, and perspectives on what's happening with small business today. Our guest on the listening post is King of SMB Surveys, Chuck Casto of Alignable. Listen to Between Two Bees on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and more. New episodes drop the last Wednesday of every month. Settle in. You're in the middle of it on Between Two Bees. Hey, welcome to the Between Two Bees podcast. This is Dave Walker, and I have as my guest for this segment, Derek Ellington, who is the EVP of Small Business for Wells Fargo. And I'm going to stop right there to give Derek the opportunity, who is a keynote speaker at our recent event in Napa, to tell his really kind of fascinating background um, and how he came to be uh, the head of one of our largest banks in the U.S., the head of their relationship with all small businesses. Derek, first of all, welcome. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Dave. It's my pleasure and really excited about being on uh, the show today and having the opportunity to uh, contribute and have a great discussion. Yeah, well, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I think that uh, I think our audience should know that you were one of our biggest hits out in Napa because of the the passion you bring to the conversation about small businesses. So why don't you, tell me, how, where did the passion really for you start? Where Give us a little uh, history lesson on, on Derek Ellington. Thank you, Dave. And, you know, I, I'd say for me, um, focusing on supporting the health and the development of small businesses has come pretty naturally to me because when I look at my family history, um, being a small business owner dates back uh, a long way in my family. My, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, was one of the original small business owners uh, as a farmer. Uh, and I, I wanna remind folks that um, the principles that really supported success for small business owners uh, at the beginning when those farmers were figuring out their products, right? It could have been row crops, it could have been livestock, it could have been timber, it could have been small um, goods uh, of, of different types that they produced and sold or services they provided to others. And it was a simple approach. Um, quality products, um, great customer service, and always selling and generating enough revenue to cover your expenses while saving for a rainy day. And they always anticipated that rainy days would come and they had to have enough uh, in reserve to support the small business during those difficult times. Could be droughts, could be floods, it could be uh, other issues that would prevent the business from operating normally and they had to be prepared for when that day would come. So um, having that connection and, and spending a lot of time with my grandfather on his farm, uh, doing different things, supporting uh, that small business, made it easy for me when I transitioned to this terrific opportunity to lead small business uh, here at Wells Fargo and support our 3.4 million customers nationally. Uh, and every day remind our team that decisions we make may determine whether or not a business stays open or it closes. So we're thoughtful. We always keep the customer in mind in everything that we do, Dave. 
I think that you know the 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 um, the 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 habits of 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 farmers uh, of how they ran their businesses. That's a that's an absolutely critical analogy, I think, in in the small business world of today, where what we hear about is is and this particularly was true during COVID, um, is that the there just simply was never enough money to spend to grow um or to even repeat the cycle year on year that that there there was this depression on revenue that that happened across so many different small business sectors they so in, instead of having money that was really kind of they had generated in their own bank account to go and add another you know retail store or uh, improve equipment, that kind of thing. Um, they had to go to lending institutions. They had to go to, um, frankly, the federal government with PPP to really get that capital. Um, has has the process of small business access to capital uh, did COVID change it permanently, or did it kind of improve it? Did it hurt it? Did it did it teach new lessons? Talk a little bit about frankly, how small businesses, somewhat unlike farmers, are really using investment and capital as a way of just surviving? Great, great question, Dave. And, you know, I will say that COVID did change a lot of things um, for not only our small business owners, but the financial uh, sector in general. One, through COVID, the banks learned that uh, in the heat of the crisis, they could do things dramatically differently than they'd ever been done before, primarily by leveraging technology and really thinking about how to create access faster in a much simpler way. And we've taken a lot of those learnings and tried to continue to advance some of those learnings post-pandemic. And I've seen a lot of good progress. There's still a tremendous amount that we need to do to realize the full opportunity, but we've made some great uh, advances. Also on the small business side, small businesses have learned that it's critically important to have a relationship with a banker uh, because many small business owners find themselves not reaching out to a banker until there's an immediate need. And, uh, you know, as we know in our personal lives, having a, a relationship with a doctor, uh, having a CPA, having a physician as a part of our cabinet that supports us, again, personally, uh, but it also feeds right into our business. And having a banker on that team is critically important, but not just a name, you know, that's that's out there in Never Never Land, but someone that I intentionally go in and sit down and meet with periodically, one, to understand the process. What are the things that are going to be required well in advance of when I need them? I'm also trying to educate a banker on my business and a business model so that they can give me advice and do a review to understand my business. And, and we know in those cases, they're best prepared to help us in providing advice uh, for solutions to some of our needs. So all those things that were sort of not as formalized uh, before the pandemic, a lot of small business owners have learned the value of those engagements, uh, particularly with their banker and having that relationship and, and getting it in place well before you need it, right? When your business is doing extremely well, you don't really need to borrow. That's a great time to think about a security blanket as an example of a, 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 a small business card or a small business line of credit as an example for that rainy day that may come in the future, um, well in advance of when you have an immediate need. So. We've seen a lot of small businesses pivot to that kind of engagement uh, because we know during the pandemic, 
that was one of the channels for the majority of small businesses getting access to the PPP funds was through their bank relationship. Um, and then there were others that uh, were able to use non-traditional banks to also access PPP, but the lion's share access through a banker. So that's critically important. So um, just it's, that's kind of a fascinating topic of, of small businesses waking up to the fact that they need to establish that kind of critical um, relationship with their banker. How does that dialogue go, just briefly? How does that dialogue go on, a, on that first date between a small business owner and the, and their banker? What gets said on both sides? Right, and and that's a that's a great question as well, Dave. Um, generally, um, going into that first meeting, um, it's going to be a lot of getting to know each other, and really the small business owner educating the banker on the structure of their business. Is it a sole proprietorship? Um, is it a different structure? Um, and the mechanics of how the business operates, um, some information about the customers, um, some information about their niche in the industry and what is driving success, and you know some of their, their general needs. Also, the banker is going to want to learn more um, about uh, not just the documented, um, you know, uh, structure of the business, but also uh, a little bit more about the business owner personally, because in most cases, uh, the personal uh, credit history of the business owner is going to come into play in assessing the overall health of the business. So um, there's a lot of great information that the banker will direct uh, the owner to um, to understand, uh, you know, how to take a look at their their FICO score as an example and uh, understand where it falls uh, on the scale that is published uh, between, you know, um, good and great and where there might be challenges. And the knowing what their credit score is will really be critical information as they look at borrowing uh, in the future. Uh, and understanding the things that they can do to, to really enhance and improve the credit score to also uh, improve right the interest rates they might receive and the terms they might receive uh, as they apply for credits. Also, mm -hmm. other types of, of options, right? I mean, uh, what's available through the Small Business Administration? What's available uh, through tra traditional bank lending? and uh, other options, right? When I talk about engaging with a banker, sometimes that banker, banker is a virtual engagement as well. Uh, and there are virtual options out there for folks to engage uh, to access capital. So um, those are the sorts of things that would be discussed in that first date. Um, as one, the small business owner gets more grounded in, okay, what, what's the environment like and what do I need to get prepared for to have my greatest chance of success in securing uh, credit in the future? And what kind of advice do bankers offer that could be really helpful, right? A lot of times it's access to resources and information that is helpful to small business owners as well. It's not just loans. Uh, there are many organizations that banks have relationships with that we often share uh, with our small businesses that are super helpful as they grow and develop um, to their full potential. Um, and and it, it's a great way of just describing what the, you know, what the successful relationship actually looks like, you know, on, on really on both sides, but particularly for the small business. You know, if you put yourself in the Wayback Machine and you go to the early days of COVID and those of us who sell and serve at a very large scale to small businesses is really what their, our institute is all about. Um, there was a recognition, first of all, it, was, uh, it, it seemed like every night there was a news story about the impact that the uh, shutdowns were having on small businesses. There were particular categories like restaurants that were hard hit, um, but they, I don't, I, 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 there were just a, a good, good chunk of, of small businesses across the country that were on the precipice of actually having to close their doors. Um, the, when the PPP loans were kind of floated out there, I think that 
there was a recognition pretty early on that the process of getting in line and getting and and actually getting a PPP loan was going to be unfair. It was going to be something that really was for the well-established business with an accountant, with a banking relationship, uh, that that they were going to be um, favored really in that process. It was set up to to be something they could take unique advantage of. In the meantime, I think we all became. Uh, and I hate to use this word because it's got so much baggage on it now, but I think a lot of us on the selling and serving side to small business realized that or, or became woke to the fact that underserved communities, uh, urban communities, minority communities, startup community, uh, businesses that basically had no accountant or bookkeeper, um, had no banking relationship whatsoever, were going to be uh, disadvantaged. In the PPP process, talk a little bit about since the COVID pandemic began. My sense is is that we've evolved a much better understanding of these underserved uh, small business communities, and we've actually begun to take action to help them to give them kind of an even playing field. Am I smoking something it, to have that perception? And second of all, if, if not, what are some of the things that you've seen from your unique vantage point that really point to the fact that, yeah, we're getting better at this? No, Dave, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, during the pandemic, our um, minority and other underserved uh, small business owners were impacted the most, um, had the more, had the higher percentage of businesses that, that closed, unfortunately. Uh, due to uh, the challenges during the pandemic. Um, all the banks have recognized this and, and it, it really just uh, became a glaring uh, thing during uh, the pandemic. Uh, what I can say about, you know, what, we, what we've been focused on at Wells Fargo, uh, first of all, we, we provided over $14 billion in uh, PPP loans uh, during the pandemic. And the majority of that lending did go to um, businesses with um, at least one diverse dimension, you know, whether it was being uh, women owned, uh, being um, uh, diverse in terms of, of racial uh, makeup, et cetera. Um, there was uh, at least one diverse dimension uh, to the majority of those that we served. And we served a lot of smaller small businesses as well um, during uh, our uh, delivery of that $14 billion. And then post-pandemic, uh, we created our Open for Business Fund, uh, which was created from the gross proceeds from the first round of PPP funding uh, that we did to small business owners to support them. And then we took that Open for Business Fund and we deployed it, uh, and again, the focus was on uh, supporting those small businesses in particular that were adversely impacted uh, during the pandemic, but also have ongoing challenges um, to accessing capital. And we worked very closely uh, with uh, CDFIs nationally, as well as other nonprofits uh, nationally, to develop programs in local geographies um, like Atlanta, like Los Angeles, um, they're Miami, they're, they're about five major cities um, as examples where we've concentrated some significant dollars, uh, you know, at, at the $20 million level or higher to address uh, significant gaps with diverse small businesses in those geographies. So in the form of, of grants, uh, low interest loans that, that had rates uh, capped as examples uh, at 3% uh, and other critical support services, right? Sometimes it's the money, but also it's the support services for technical assistance that the small businesses need to understand how to leverage the capital the most in their business. 
Um, so we worked again in those local geographies with CDFIs and uh, we have already served thousands of small businesses um, throughout the country uh, post pandemic because we concentrated on those gaps that were identified during the pandemic in a way to really be able to customize in uh, those local geographies programs and partnership with those local um, nonprofits and CDFIs to really respond to what they're hearing and seeing every day as they engage with our small business owners that are, are, are seeking that support. So it's, it's already been highly successful, but there's so much more that we have to continue to do to, uh, to really create the resources uh, that small business owners need. I, I, I recently joined the board um, of Operation Hope, uh, which is a tremendous uh, national organization really focused on uh, supporting small businesses. And there are many programs through Operation Hope that we partner with them on uh, here at Wells Fargo to, again, reach more small business owners, uh, particularly those in diverse communities, and react to needs that have been identified with real support programs and resources to, to help them succeed. Uh, that's terrific, and congratulations for joining that board. I know that organization very well. They're fantastic. Um, and just for our audience benefit, um, CDFIs, uh, if you've never heard yes. of that before, are it's a, it's the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund. It's actually it's federally based. Is that correct? They, the, they, they are. They're funded federally, yeah. but they operate hyper locally. Um, correct. And there's now, are there, is my math correct? There's over 500 of them now, some, something like that? Yes, and, and they are dispersed nationally. Um, mm -hmm. But oftentimes, Dave, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up. I am on a stage or on a podcast like we are today, and I have to remind the CDFIs to continue with their marketing, to identify themselves, because oftentimes our small business owners are busy running businesses and they don't know about CDFIs or how to access them in their local community. So we've got to continue to do a better job of that. Yeah, and, and I, I've always been impressed by the, the CDFIs that I have met because to your point, they're not, they're not just funding facilitators. They do provide a lot of education. They do provide a lot of support. Um, and they don't just serve kind of the usual suspects of urban communities. They're out there in rural communities. They're really in just about every pocket of America that is, I, I know one that's based out of a fishing village in Alaska. So they're, they're in all sorts of different places doing the hard work the, the kind of the boots on the ground work of making sure that the community of small businesses that they represent really do understand how to get capital, how to get funding, how to use their money wisely, et cetera, et cetera. So um, exactly right, David. I, I just want to add on to that. And when I talk about the partnership between the financial institutions and uh, the traditional financial institutions and these CDFIs, they they have tremendous programs and ideas, but they need, just like all of us, the dollars so that they can really make the impact so that many businesses, not just a handful, can take advantage of it. So when I talked about our Open for Business Fund uh, created at Wells Fargo, that fund generated $420 million that we deployed through CDFIs and many other uh, organizations to get enough funds into the system to really drive a significant impact. So again, it's not just throwing a few dollars here and there, but when you can do something at scale with that level of, of, of financial muscle behind it, you can really make a difference. A huge difference, no doubt. And and kudos to you guys for, you know, it's not often that, 
you know, you're given permission by your board or your shareholders to actually plow what would be profits back into what truly is serving your customer and frankly, growing your business, continuing to grow yeah. your business. So um, as we as we kind of wind this down, I have really one last question for you. And that is, you know, in the context of of um, the, the the process of lending to small businesses. I think all of us in our heads, at least, who are not, you know, necessarily close to it, have this image in our mind of business owner walks into a bank, sits down across from a loan officer, and really there's only one or two numbers that the uh, loan officer cares about, and it's the it's numbers driven. It's basically what's your margins, what's your what's your total revenue, whatever those those kind of singular numbers are do you see a change in first of all that's probably a, a an erroneous assumption that we all made it that's how it goes down but do you see that institutions either like your own or even like cdfis the sba are they starting to kind of open their mind to frankly the way that investors uh look at whether or not to invest in a business, it's not just the financial. Do they have good leaders? Are the leaders, do they have the right skill set? Do they have the right vision? Do they meet their goals? Do they meet their objectives? How well do they write their objectives? How do they plan their business? How do they hire? All of those factors kind of come into play, at least when I'm sitting in a pitch meeting, listening to an entrepreneur, a startup, uh, as being really actually very important and, and almost more important than the numbers. Um, of course, any investor wants to know that they're going to get something in return for their investment, but we know that there's there's more to it than just simply what's on a piece of paper in the in a spreadsheet. Are are do you think that 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 lending approach is starting to emerge and actually starting to gain traction? They, things are are changing dramatically in in the lending ecosystem uh, for small businesses. Um, you, you've got a few things going on. Um, you're, you're seeing folks, you know, use uh, newer mechanisms like crowdfunding um, and, and also uh, leveraging technology uh, to access funding. Um, and I'd say for the most part, there's sort of two, two different um, channels. Uh, if, if your lending need is very, very simple and basic, you can access many digital uh, mechanisms to complete an application um, with basic information and, and get and, and have your basic needs met uh, very, very quickly uh, without talking to uh, a physical banker. Uh, in that environment. Now, as as your needs become more complex and, and the dollars become larger, that's where the, the familiarity and the comfort the banker, the physical banker has with that small business owner and not only the person, the business, the, the, the management team, the structure, of that business, uh, again, what they understand about um, how to drive consistent performance in that business and execute a business model becomes much more important. And that's where, again, you, you're never gonna lose the people connection. Uh, and that's where the value is also, the advice the small business owner is gonna gain from that personal connection and familiarity with a banker that knows their business, knows their industry, uh, has a network of other companies where they can, again, leverage that advice um, in, in helping that business owner. Also, the data. Banks have a tremendous amount of data on uh, not only trends in the industry, what's happening in a certain geography, um, other things that the business owner is even doing within their own business that generating reports and providing that back to the business owner is also valuable in how they drive their business forward. So those data insights are also 
critically important as complexity increases. So you ask about how those decisions are changing. Banks are continuing to use traditional information that small business owners have become accustomed to providing uh, their, their profit and loss statement, their balance sheet, uh, all those basic components so that the, the banker can understand the cash flow of the business and their ability and capacity to repay um, borrowed money and at what level um, of debt capacity do they have based on the most recent financial information. But banks are also going far beyond that now and using additional non-traditional data sources to enhance what they have all always relied on in a traditional environment. And uh, we're, we're learning a lot of that from fintechs who are not banks that have started to get into lending and use mm -hmm. a lot of um, uh, information they receive uh, on uh, financial flows uh, of businesses uh, that they're using to make um, short-term loans uh, in many cases. So that is evolving. Uh, the data component is becoming critically important. So as a small business owner, remember that data is an asset. Banks see data as an asset and leveraging data effectively can not only enhance uh, the story that you're creating with your banker and with that uh, financial institution, but also enhance your ability to access more capital with high quality data that really gives uh, the evaluator uh, better insight into your business and comfort with the cash flow that would be supporting repayment for any lending that you would be seeking. So things are evolving um, significantly and uh, we're all uh, evolving uh, to try to do a better job of, again, providing more loans, uh, particularly those to those who need them the most and doing it efficiently and creating a great client experience. Derek, you're one of my heroes. Um, I love you talking on this subject because it comes from decades of experience and always being so passionate about small business and bringing it to, to the job that you do on their behalf. Thank you so much for doing this. this. I, I, I appreciate that uh, you're a very busy guy and you took time out to talk to us here on Between Two Bs. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again at, a, at another Beta SMB Institute event. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Really my pleasure to be on the show. What's going on with small business right now? That's a persistent question that every leader selling to SMBs asks pretty much every morning when they wake up. And every Here at the Beta SMB Institute, we're fortunate to have a number of members who deliver research, insights, and perspective on SMBs 24-7. And we're giving all of them a chance to share with you what they see, hear, and feel about our $500 billion marketplace. Today on The Listening Post is Chuck Casto of Alignable. Take it away, Chuck. Hey, Dave, I have to tell you, there's a lot happening in the small business landscape right now. Number one, all eyes are on hiring. We saw in our most recent survey that 32% of small businesses are hiring only part-timers or contractors or freelancers. So that's a great opportunity for all the side hustlers out there to work with peers and help them with their needs because they are looking for part-timers now. The reason is they're still worried about a recession coming and they also are having issues with revenue and uh, finding new ways to generate revenue. So that's why we're focused on with 32% of the, the hiring small business people saying we really want part-timers and we need those part-timers to help us to build our businesses. Now, at the same time, we had an all-time low of 25% hiring full-time which uh, again indicates that they are nervous about the current economy and where that will go 
But again, they want to get the part-timers in there to help them generate as much revenue as possible in an affordable manner. And that's basically what was covered in the comments that we received during the survey too. Uh, some good news, hiring freezes are at an all-time low for 2023 at only 43%. As are the layoffs, there are only 5% of small business employers are laying people off right now. So that's a, a little bit of a mixed report for hiring, but certainly some big trends to watch as we look at the rest of the year. Now, uh, we also have asked again, are you fully recovered from the COVID era financially? And only 38% are. So that means 62% who had businesses prior to COVID still are not making the amount of monthly income they made before COVID. So that is something that everybody is still trying to work out. And of course, inflation has been a major problem there, as have the rising interest rates. We just have completed a poll on that. I'm working with a news source on this particular topic. And 52% of all small businesses in this poll, and this poll had over 4,800 responses, say that the rising interest rates have hurt them in some fashion and have contributed to declining margins. And that has to do with a lot of things. People are seeing consumer spending going down because the consumers have to pay more on their loans and anything else that involves an interest rate. So that's a big, big uh, finding that we've had just recently, just literally this morning. And then uh, finally, I wanted to bring up how inflation has, for the last couple of years, every month, inflation has been cited as the number one financial concern of small businesses. And it still is, but ramping up revenue is about to take that, that top spot. They are so close, and the trajectory for the people who are worried about ramping up revenue has continued to go up over the last couple of years. And so now 26% say inflation is their number one concern, but 24% say it's actually ramping up revenue is their number one concern. So, and we have seen this happen every month and we're seeing the, the uh, margin between the two of them shrinking. So we're thinking that ramping up revenue could take over concerns over inflation moving ahead. Thanks, Chuck. Hi, everybody. Dave Walker back with uh, the Between Two Bees podcast. And uh I'm I'm genuinely excited to 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 have the conversation I'm about to have with uh, Kira McCoy of uh, Meta, and it's because, as as many of you know, the institute has really taken a a, a genuine interest in uh, small business advocacy and small business advocacy organizations over the course of the last um, really since the beginning of COVID was when we our eyes really kind of got open to the importance of all of us in this business, the small business space, playing a, a greater role in the policies and in the uh, community of small businesses and, and, and assisting them with all the great resources that we collectively have. So Kira is, is one of those individuals, and there really aren't yet many of these leaders kind of in our space who actually has small business advocacy in her job title. So welcome, Kira. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Appreciate it. Well, why don't you start with a little bit of background on yourself and really kind of how you came to small business advocacy, who actually has it in their job title? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm from San Francisco. I actually still reside here today. And uh, I was a competitive track and field cross country athlete all the way through college. I went to UCLA. 
And then as I transitioned into the workforce, I started in the athletic space, probably because it was familiar to me, um, started working at Lululemon Athletica. And there I got a, a really tremendous experience about what it was like to operate a business. Most people don't know this, but um, each store at Lululemon kind of uh, really operates as its own individual individual business. And so pretty early on in my career, I got my hands dirty in everything from hiring and recruiting to staffing to um, overseeing budgets, P&Ls, merchandising, like you name it. Um, it was it was really like getting a mini MBA and got such a, a deep appreciation of all it took to, to operate a business. And then I wanted to eventually get out of the retail space and transitioned to a marketing and business development role at the San Francisco Marathon. And there I got some really unique opportunities, one being, you know, launching, you know, brand new races. And so really got a great understanding of what it took and the, the importance of kind of building community and grassroots community from the ground up to launch successful initiatives. And then I also, um, they, they allowed me to kind of start my own health tech alley at the San Francisco Marathon Expo, where I brought technology, health tech, health technology to the runners who are participating in the race. And it was there I sort of sparked my interest and in really wanting to get into the tech space. Like I wanted to be part of, of building the future. And so while I was at the marathon, I started night school learning how to code. And then shortly thereafter that landed um, a job at Facebook in the small business space um, on the community engagement team, which was really a nice culmination of kind of all the work I had done to that, to that point. And um, have been at Meta for almost nine years, exclusively in the small business space and doing a variety of things, everything from you know, traveling the country and training small businesses, how to use our products and services to um, bringing small business voices closer to our product teams and making sure that we're building the right products for them. Um, and then, you know, over the last handful of years have been dabbling in the advocacy space and helping small businesses unlock their voices and realize how important their voices are when it comes to potential legislation and helping them build relationships with their policymakers. And then sort of throughout it all have, um, I, I, love, I love storytelling. Small business stories are, are some of my favorites. And so the opportunity to kind of amplify their voices, bring them to life um, has been something that I, I've loved doing. So small businesses honestly are some of the most resilient, you know this, resilient, passionate, um, innovative people out there. And so the opportunity to work with them each and every single day is, is kind of a dream come true. That's great. That's actually a great story too. I, I think that so many of your peers that are members of our organization, at least would, would share your passion for small business. And, and many of them uh, use the word humbling. And it sounds mm -hmm. like it, it, it's, it's humbled you in, in, in large measure from, you know, from, from obviously a tremendous background, but also kind of like, boy, I really want to help these people. I really, I really believe that they, they're very deserving of, of whatever help that we can offer and shape for us a little bit. You, you've said um, helping small businesses unlock their voice, which I think is a wonderful way of putting it. What exactly yeah. does that mean for you in your role? How are you helping small businesses unlock their voice? Yeah. So, I mean, you've probably heard this term a million times where, you know, small businesses are the backbone of our economy. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's used all the time. The truth is like, it's actually true. Um, small businesses are so important and critical to the fabric of our communities. You know, they, it's in our best interest for a small business to succeed because when they do, they pay taxes that support and fund our schools and our infrastructure and our police and fire departments. And so, um, you know, I, everyone like kind of lives in a space where they're small businesses. And so, um, and I, I see the importance of that. So to bring that to my work is, is really fun where, so many small businesses don't realize how critical and important their voices are. Like many of them that I, you know, the communities that I run at Meta, um, you know, they're like, I'm just, you know, a mom and pop shop. I don't think my voice is important and helping them realize, no, it, it is. And, and, and so much so that, you know, they're at any given moment, there's potential legislation and, you know, things being discussed that can impact your business. And you can either be part of that conversation and influence what happens, or you can not be, and just things will happen to you. And so, you know, um, you know, at Meta, some of the work that I've been able to do is, you know, privacy legislation is being discussed at any given moment, um, and helping you know policymakers understand that that something that gets passed could impact the way that small businesses are using platforms like Meta to advertise and, and grow their businesses and. 
um, helping kind of connect small businesses with their policymakers to kind of tell those stories. It's, it's been really fun, um, but it inspires them to kind of get involved in, in so many other ways. And, and advocacy can, it, I mean, there's such a spectrum of things you can do. It can be, you know, I've seen small businesses advocate for getting benches on their main streets so that, you know, people have a place to sit, which might increase their, you know, willingness to kind of say and shop on shop on that main street to addressing crime or addressing access to capital. Um, and um, yeah, and, and all the way up to privacy legislation. So it really, it really is a spectrum and, um, you know, working on helping them educate and educate them on, you know, what are the most, um, what kind of tactics are going to be really critical and making sure your voices is heard, voices are heard and just inspiring them to be um, small business advocates. And so that's where my work has been kind of lying the last couple of years and um, hope to be, you know, continue to be able to do that on, on some level moving forward. Do you find yourself uh, in your role kind of operating on, you know, kind of three different scales of geography? There's the kind of the local and, and, and even hyper-local advocacy that goes on within a small community. Um, many of those small communities represented with their own kind of Facebook or meta identity. Um, there's that kind of local, then there's city slash state kind of larger field of play. And then of course there's, there's national, there's federal. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder, you know, in the same way in which all of our many members are challenged to sell at scale, particularly national scale to this incredibly fragmented uh, market space of small businesses. Do, does advocacy kind of suffer from the same challenge of, for instance, trying to really create understanding and participation on a national scale of small businesses uh, who are frankly trying to deal with either privacy issues or monopoly issues or whatever it is they're trying to deal with? You know, I find that no matter kind of what your what your interest is in the advocacy space, whether it is the hyper-local city, state, or national, um, the the same challenge I think holds true and where any small business can can get involved in, and do this better is it's important that they help their policymakers and their staffers really understand what it's like to be a small business owner. You know, at the end of the day, like your policymaker wants to help you, they represent you, um, or even these national organizations, um, or your local chamber of commerce, they're there to represent you. And so um, it's, it's, it's so important that a small business really does kind of articulate and help them understand the challenges of being a small business owner and, and what that means for any specific issues that they're talking about, because many policymakers are not business owners. And so it's, it's really hard to and, and, and on top of that, they're also addressing so many different issues on any given time. And so helping um, helping a small business make sure that 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 is really important, that that gets across, I think, is the main challenge. And if they do that successfully, um, it, you know, they're going to see a lot a much better outcome, no matter the initiative, local city, state or, or national. What's from your perspective, what's the role of consumers in advocacy on behalf of small business? I mean, that's a great question. Uh, it's my personal belief that I don't think that consumers truly understand the critical role that small businesses play in our communities. And we've seen, you know, many companies are working to help get that word across. Like Amex has done a great job on their small business Saturday work, right? Shop small. You hear that all the time. Um, but I think it's, I'd love, you know, I'd love to see consumers to get more educated on this. It's a tough thing to do, but something, you know, we're certainly trying to do in some initiatives that, that we're working on, but, um, you know, supporting a small business isn't just a nice thing to do. Like it's the necessary thing to do. Um, and if more, more consumers can get, uh, just realize and unpack kind of what I mentioned before, like it's in our best interest for a small business to succeed. The more that they know that, I think the more that they can sort of advocate um, you know, for the small businesses in their communities. But it's sort of the same thing as the policymaker piece that I mentioned before. Like if they don't know, um, it's going to be harder to kind of push an agenda forward. So uh, consumers certainly play a big role, right? I think it's, um, I, I think it's a, a gap that is helping, helping close that gap between consumers understanding um, the, that role that small businesses play, not just in like a, it's a nice thing to do, but uh, no, it's actually necessary for like the survival of our communities. Here, here. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you sent me a link to a, a wonderful short film 
that Meta produced, and the name of the director escapes me, but it was really spectacular. Do you want to talk a little bit about the origin of trying to put a voice to what small business advocacy looks like, um, and and how it how it really comes from a very very natural place in a community um, to to advocate on behalf of a small business? Can you talk about that film a little bit? Yeah, um, so the director is Rika Zeptapshi. She's an Oscar-winning director, and we had the opportunity to work with her um, to produce this film, this short documentary film um, called They Came From All Over. And it, it really came about because it, it, was, it was, it's one of our you know, trials and attempts to really close that gap to help businesses, consumers, um, uh, any audience really understand the critical role small businesses play in our communities. And so, um, one of the communities I run, um, it, the Leaders Network, there's a, a, a gentleman named Tom Mulholland. He's from Malvern, Iowa. He runs a small business there. It's a kind of cornerstone business. It's their grocery store, fourth generation owned. Um, and in December of 2021, unfortunately, the, the grocery store burnt down. And as a result, the entire community has become a food desert. Businesses or people are having to drive, you know, sometimes 17, 30 miles away to get fresh produce. Um, but what often is happening is that they're just kind of driving to like the local kind of convenience stores and eating canned foods. And it's just, it's not great for their, for their town. Um, and in the film, they'll, they'll tell you that like, you know, a, a community is either growing or it's dying. Um, and it, when it has a grocery store, it has a chance. And so I had never really come across a story that so clearly depicted the important role a small business pl plays in sort of the, mm -hmm. the livelihood and the survival of a community and what's at stake when they go away. The, the happy news about this story is that Tom is planning to rebuild. There are definitely hurdles, um, like with any big kind of project of that nature, but um, they're going to rebuild and um, the community will um, hopefully have like a bright future because of that. And um, it's been, it's been really fun to we're, we're currently now on the film festival circuit and, and sharing it with lots of different audiences, but it's certainly striking a chord with people. And that's sort of our intention. Um, and I, I don't know, Dave, if you cried or, you know, had any it, tears well, it, there. It, 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 <laughs> it took me home. I mean, I, I yeah. grew up in rural Virginia in a, in a county called Goochland, if you can believe that. Um, and it, it, the total population of the county was 9,000. We lived in what was called the courthouse, which was the county seat, basically. And, and we had that single grocery store. We had that single drugstore that, you know, the it, it was just a everybody knew each other. And when some form of tragedy hit, it was always the entire community became engaged. And what I what I particularly appreciated was that the 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 community itself was already very you know very inextricably linked with each other but that the the technology uh, of of a meta actually facilitated it to become even greater even deeper and to go beyond just simply their own kind of 20 mile radius out really now across the world with with this film so Absolutely. I, I applaud you guys for that effort because it really does show how the power can be, be the power of that community unity can really be amplified tremendously. Yeah, so, and that's that's definitely one of the things that we wanted to get across where um, it's, it's the power of both community in person, but the power of community online. And a lot of the programs that um, have been running over the handful of years is, is about bringing small business owners together on in these online forums. You know, one of the number one things I hear from a small business owner is how lonely it can be to be an entrepreneur. And when you get them in a community of their peers, it's like a, it's kind of having like your own personal board of directors or a bunch of like business coaches just at the tip of your fingers. And what's been really fun to see um, in Tom's story of in this incredible tra tragedy, the online community of small business owners that we had organized through the Leaders Network just being there for him. Um, through a variety of aspects. And so he doesn't feel as alone because I mean, what a what a tough journey to go through. Like he could have easily not rebuilt the grocery store. That would have been the easy way out, right? Just take the insurance money and be done. He's in his, you know, 60s. He shares that many of his, you know, classmates are retiring. 
but he didn't do that. And he's got this network of not just the people in, in Malvern, but he's got a community of across the country there who are, who are there with him every step of the way. And um, that's the story yeah. we wanted to tell. And it's a great story to tell, no doubt. So two last questions for you. And they're really kind of imagine yourself as questions. So okay. imagine that you are, um, you have an opportunity to go work for another uh, large, large company that is serving small businesses who's really done nothing with advocacy. And they've hired you to come in and basically build an advocacy organization and an advocacy point of view from scratch. What are some of the key things that, that from what you've learned over the last many years that you would start with, that you would say, I'm going to start right here to, to build out this advocacy expertise? Yeah, I mean, I think it, first and foremost, it's going to really depend on what the company itself is serving and, and achieving, right? So we, um, at like at Meta, we're about connecting people online, about giving tools to businesses to help kind of democratize the ability to reach customers. Um, and so, you know, our advocacy interests are related, they're going to be related to that. But in order for it to be successful, you really need to kind of dig deep and understand what's in, what's in it for the small business. Like, why is it important to them? So I think first and foremost, no matter what sort of advocacy work that you're doing, you need to get to the bottom of like, what is the impact it will have on the small business audience that you're serving? Um, so doing that research and, and make sure you're close to your close to your customer. Um, I, I, you know, I, I talk to lots of different people in different organizations and um, the further they are away from their customers and are sort of like, yeah, I don't know if you've heard this before, like shipping the org chart, it doesn't really work out so well in the long run. Um, and so making sure that, that you're building kind of sustainable ways for, to listen to the small businesses and hear their feedback and hear their concerns and make sure that they feel um, it's not just a one-way street, but that you're also serving them on their behalf, I think is going to be really important. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, understanding sort of what your business goal is, um, and then understanding how that translates into what's in it for the small business. Uh, terrific prescription. Um, and my last question is, uh, what do you think, uh, maybe an unfair question, what do you think is the single greatest uh, issue or challenge facing small business advocacy uh, in 2023? The single greatest issue. <laughs> Um, I think it's, oh, this is a good question. Throw me off, throw me off here, Dave. Sorry um, about that. No, no, it, it's, it's fine. A, it's a, it's a big, hairy, audacious question, right? It's a B-hack. Um, yeah, that was like, that was a term that you said, Lululemon a lot. Um, I always love that one. So, um, the biggest challenge I would say is, um, getting access and, and, and reaching more of those small businesses. Um, and, and really here's the thing, advocacy takes time, right. Especially from the small business. And so I think small, small businesses, one of the biggest things that they're always facing is a lack of time. They have a zillion things they could be doing at any given moment. Um, and we, we, we face that even in, you know, the, when we roll out a new, um, a format or a new product or something like, you know, how do we, how do we get small businesses to kind of adopt it without it taking too much time? And, um, you know, the company is rolling out a lot of new products as it relates to AI to make it easier for them, which is great. So I think as it relates to advocacy, it's making sure that you can, um, convince small businesses that, that it's important, that it's worth their time and that they can see the output of it. Um, and I there's, think so I think that's a, that's a great answer. That's a really yeah. actually a great answer. Um, because it, it recognizes it just as in, you know, just same things going on on the selling side, basically for us as businesses is money, isn't the greatest barrier to actually selling your product. It's time. It's that that's what is of, of frankly, of highest value for small businesses. So, um, I, I think this has been a great conversation and I'd love to keep it going as you become more involved with the advocacy or advocacy side of the Institute and, and really working with many of the advocacy organizations that have joined the Institute that we've extended pro bono membership to, um, you know, everybody has a, their own kind of different points of view on what exactly is advocacy and what are the issues that are most important and how to address those issues. But I think the more that we can have dialogue like the one that you and I are having, 
um, particularly within and on the side of those major enterprises that are selling at massive scale to the small business community and really talking with those who are advocating on small business behalf and bringing those two kind of parties together so that we can work better together to really create influence is is critical as we all move forward. So thanks very it. much for doing this. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thanks for creating the forum to have this conversation. I, I do think it's important. And um, yeah, it, this has been fun. So thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks once again to our guests, Derek Ellington of Wells Fargo and Kira McCoy of Meta. As we approach our Best to SMB Awards and Conference, check out our Between Two Bs interviews with nominees from HubSpot, Wave, Salesforce, Visa, Google, and more. Listen on your podcast carrier of choice or link directly from our website, b2smbi.com. And don't forget to make your nominations for the 2023 Best to SMB Awards. See our website for nomination categories and ballots. And now's the time to reserve your spot at the Best to SMB Awards and Conference in Nashville, October 11 and 12. Tickets on sale at beatsmbi.com. Thanks for getting in the middle of it with me, Between Two Bs. <laughs>